0: Hey, beautiful people, welcome back. This is Forever Young. I'm Dr. John Lakey. I'm Dr. Payman Daniel Poor. And today's topic is uh, near and dear to myself. Uh, it's one of my favorite things to do. Um, and not all plastic surgeons enjoy doing this, but rhinoplasty or nose job. Um, you know, give me your thoughts on it. I think it's
1: one of, the, probably, if not the most difficult operation. And only because you're dealing with cartilage. And cartilage is very um, finicky, for lack of a better word. Um, You can make things perfect at the end of the surgery, and three months later it can come out (laughs) just two millimeters to the right. Mm -hmm. So it's very, very frustrating as a plastic surgeon because yes, we are perfectionists. We want everything to always be perfect. And sometimes, and this is what they teach us in training, they'll teach teach this to you in basic sciences, cartilage has its own mind. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, and that's why you're going to get into this. And that's why we changed from taking down the nose and stripping it down and, and making it as little uh, structural support as possible to now really building the nose up. And we're going to talk about all this, but I don't do rhinoplasty for that reason. Um, because you're so good at it. Um, but also because, again, it's it's kind of frustrating because you do it, it's perfect. Um, and then months or years later, it can change. Um, the nose also changes as we age. So we'll talk about that as well. But... Um, I'll have you literally take over and I will chime in. Uh, But yes, rhinoplasty is very common and it you see it in men and women alike. And it's something that changes people's lives because it gives them confidence in many, many ways. Because again, it is the central aspect of your face. Sure.
0: And listen, I'm glad you said it because I'm definitely biased. I think it is one of the most challenging surgeries just for that fact because cartilage warps. And that is, you know, it used to be where rhinoplasties, you know, we kind of cut everything away. We would, you know, it was a reductive rhinoplasty and it could look great. And then years later, the nose would slowly contract and change and and you come up with all these, you know, quote unquote botched uh, noses. When in all reality, it's just the fact that no support was left behind. And so it's
1: interesting because if you look at people if you look at people that had rhinoplasties 20, 30 years ago, mm-hmm. they all have very pinched noses. Everything is very tiny. And in a way, it looks like it's like kind of involuting. It looks like it's kind of shrinking <laughs> into a tiny little thing. And it's exactly what you're talking about. So
0: and, and there are reasons for that. And I'll go into that because um, your nose will change. So I think what I'll do is I'm going to kind of bring you through a process of someone who, let's say they come to the office for the first time. And, you know, I always like to educate on the general anatomy of the nose. Uh, Maybe we go into some detail on what you should be looking for in a plastic surgeon. Because, again, this whole, uh, you know, procedure itself, which was the number one procedure in 2021 thus far... Uh, for reasons, whether it's the pandemic, the mask, Zoom, whatever it is, it's been an extremely popular surgery. And more and more plastic surgeons are performing these operations and some shouldn't. I mean, the idea is, um, you know, what I always say to my patients is, look, I'm part of the rhinoplasty society. You have to do a certain number of these each year to be a member. I always recommend meeting with multiple surgeons because A, we got to be friends for a long time and B, uh, because you want to make sure that my aesthetic matches yours. And so whatever, whoever does your nose, you just have to make sure they do a lot of them. So, you know, I think what I'll do is maybe, and we'll go over some patient uh, case scenarios and things like that. And and again, there are two sides to a rhinoplasty. One is obviously cosmetic everybody's interested in. It's making someone look beautiful. There's also a reconstructive aspect. Um, and the idea is some people... Lose the tip of their noses, and we'll talk about one of those patients uh, earlier, who uh, you know is a, a good friend of ours now, and um, has suffered a very uh, a traumatic injury, and and we'll talk about how uh, there are experts who can completely create a brand new nose in case you've lost one, and so um, that's the the whole idea behind this is to educate you as best we can. So, and this and the rhinoplasty is it for for. To compare it to something that I do,
1: which is a breast reduction, it is sometimes a two-for-one special in the sense that somebody will come in and really can't breathe. Mm. And they have a very deviated septum. They have very large turbinates. They've got other stuff that's going on on the inside. And one of the questions people ask me all the time is, does your partner how to do that too? Well, obviously, um, he does yeah. it both. And 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 it's and it's it really is a combination. And a lot of people come in with the thought of, if I... If you got a dollar for every time someone came in and said, I just want you to shave the top a little bit and fix the septum. It's, uh, it's minor rhinoplasty. Yeah, There's no such thing, guys, as minor. It's just like people say, give me a mini facelift, but you need a real big one. So there are gimmicks out there, but we're going to really get into... Um, how the whole consultation works, what to look for, what Dr. Lakey does for every single person that mm-hmm. comes through here. And it's a very long and thorough process. It's something that always should be, no matter if you go to see your, your surgeon in, in Wisconsin or whether or not it's in Beverly Hills, it should always be the same thing. And they should be looking for these types of things. So I'm just going to have John take it through his whole consultation process. I'll chime in here and there.
0: Yeah. And listen, I, I definitely want to give a shout out to uh, a lot of the uh, true experts in the community and uh, in America, uh, you know, that have kind of paved the way for us. And this is where we get most of our research from. from. And, uh, you know, surgeons like Dean Toriumi and Rick Davis and uh, Bahman Gairan and Rod Rorick and Ashkan Gavami Um, You know, these are all very experienced surgeons as well and uh, who have kind of emulated, took some of their uh, tips and tricks and uh, have created my own practice, uh, you know, our own practice with uh, noses. So without further ado, I think, um, you know, usually let's pretend you are a patient coming in and um, obviously we kind of talk about certain things. Um, You know, I always like asking questions um, to kind of get an idea of whether you're realistic or not, because... Um, this is one of those cases where uh, you can't hide it. You can't put it in a bra. This is in the middle of your face. And so although we are wearing masks right now, that will not last forever, hopefully. And uh, the idea is uh, that it's gotta be done right the first time. There's basic anatomy to the nose. I always like dividing into threes. Uh, The upper third, which is really bone. The middle third is a very stiff cartilage. And then the bottom third, which is very flimsy cartilage, and usually you have to do something to each of the thirds so it looks very natural. I have a very natural aesthetic. Um, you know, I'm not a huge fan of some of the pinched uh, Russian Instagram where they overdo, you, you know, the the dorsal, what we call dorsal aesthetic lines, but it's really the entire bridge of the nose uh, um, when you're looking from from the front. And uh, I don't like a ski slope or anything like that. There are certain stigma of an operated on nose. And so I would rather have it be where, listen, uh, if someone meets you for the first time, they would have no clue that you've had a rhinoplasty. Do I want to make sure that there's a significant change and have it be an aesthetic appearance? Of course I do. So... Uh, And then if we look at the internal aspect of the nose, I think you had uh, commented on earlier, There, you have the septum, which is the divider of the nose. You have the turbinates, which are these little outpouchings. They're almost uh, the humidifiers of the nose. That's why when you're in Aspen skiing, you don't get a brain freeze every time you take a deep breath through your nose. Um, And then if you lie flat, the nose is kind of like a tent. The septum is the divider. Those little angles at the corner, the very top of the tent, sometimes those can be narrow and sometimes people can't breathe and the, that angle collapses as you inspire deeply, just like that, and the nose collapses. And so sometimes we have to put stuffed little pieces of cartilage up there and uh, you know, straighten the septum and reduce the size of the turbinates because you have to imagine most noses, we are making smaller, cuter, more refined. And if you do that, you got to make the inside, quote unquote, bigger so they can breathe. So, so very, the-
1: very important <laughs> guys, you, you, you know, as, as great as your nose looks, if you can't breathe out of it, mm-hmm. it's a, it's a botched job. Definitely. And that's something that, that, that people don't get. And sometimes they say, okay, this person's the best there is. He does closed rhinoplasty. He does them in an hour. They look great from the side, but then they show up to this office and they're like, oh, well, I can't breathe after surgery. Mm-hmm. So it, this is something that's, that really needs to be touched upon as well.
0: Yeah, and I, I think I'm going to, com- uh, you know, comment on that uh, coming up in a little bit. You know, we've got the open versus closed rhinoplasty and uh, the benefits of either one. And and I'll just give you my two cents on them. I do both. Um, you know, I think more commonly an open rhinoplasty. Uh, but again, I think let's say you're sitting in front of me. The idea, I think one of the questions in the beginning. So obviously, have you had any pre- uh, previous nasal trauma? you know, anything requiring a reset. I think every single person comes in and says, when I was four years old, I hit myself in the nose. And, um, you know, that likely did not lead to a hump on the nose or a twisted nose or anything like that. It could have if you fractured some of the cartilage, but uh, usually as kids, we're pretty resilient. And, um, you know, unless it required a particular reset, meaning a closed reduction of the nasal bones or something like that, it's unlikely that uh, that affected... Your future development, um, and then I'll ask, do you have any breathing issues? And is it worse at night? Have you used nasal sprays, anything like that? And for people who have, um, you know, we have to delve in obviously a little deeper uh, because some people have sleep apnea. There are other causes of difficulty breathing at night that not you know won't necessarily be corrected with a septoplasty or septorhinoplasty. Uh, then I'll say, listen, uh, if you had to list something that you didn't like about your nose, what would it be? And usually they'll, they'll, patients will say, all right, these top three things. If someone comes in, in my period, in, in my opinion, and they, they've got 17 things wrong with the nose, run. This is definitely not someone that you want to operate on because they, they have unrealistic expectations. Um, one thing that we have to look at is the thickness of nasal tip skin. Uh, this plays a huge role into committing to the potential outcome. So imagine, I always give the analogy, let's say I throw a silk sheet over a chair. Then I have you come into a room and say, what's underneath that sheet? And you'll say it's a chair based off of the height and the dimensions. If I take a thick down comforter and I throw it over a chair, I have you walk into the room and say, what's underneath there? You might not know. So ultimately it just means as a surgeon, we have to really overcorrect to a point, uh, the structure of the nose, because it's just not gonna be visible through that thick skin. And so you may never get the definition that you are looking for. So if you bring in an Instagram photo and someone who's got really thin skin and it's refined and you have extremely thick skin, it's just not realistic. And so I'll try to set those expectations right off the bat. Then from there, we do a physical exam. That means we, you know, I'll put my hands on the nose. I think every surgeon needs to do that. This isn't something, this isn't a spectator sport. This is something that you have to actively become involved in. And so we occlude each of the nostrils. You feel the tip, you assess the support because you need to know what kind of support needs to to be left behind. So whether I'm doing a closed rhinoplasty, which is just for, you know, hidden incisions on the inside of the nose, uh, for a minor hump reduction or you narrow the tip slightly or you do an open approach, which is for a twisted nose or something that's a little more complex um, or we're really trying to change the nose and create a different shape. Um, you know, that's an incision that's between the nostrils. We call that the columella. Um, so from there, what I will do is uh, we look at the inside of the nose, you know, talk about those three things before, the septum, the internal valve, that little angle at the top of the tent, and the turbinates. And then from there, I think because we are such visual beings that we move over to do a 3D rhino, uh, simulation. And the reason for this, you know, there are uh, proponents and naysayers and and things like that. Obviously, uh, you know, for some of the well-established individuals that clearly have a track record, they may not need this type of um, imaging. But I would even argue that that's not potentially true because, you know, what I don't want to find out is what I think is a perfect nose isn't what you think a perfect nose is. And so, you know, for me to—I think long gone are the days where we say— Hey, don't worry about it. I'm going to make it look good. Well, what is good? You know, are we on the same page? And a lot of times just by creating a simulation, I can weed out whether a person is uh, realistic. I will always tell them I'm going to create something that I look that I think looks good on their face. And I would always rather underpromise and overdeliver. Say this is the best I can do. And if you like it, great, because in surgery, I'll find out maybe I can do a a hint more. That doesn't mean create a brand new nose, but it means sometimes you can create more definition. You can create more angles to the nose. I just can't promise it if I look at the structure of the nose once I'm in there and and, uh, realize, you know, I would rather not promise something that I know I can't deliver. This is Dr. John Lakey at Forever Young. Hope you're enjoying the show. Dr. Daniel Poor, and I will be back after a quick break. So from there, after we've created the simulation, I think now we're on the same page. We're playing on the same field. And so the patient knows what to expect. Now, the question should be in your mind, well, how close to the simulation are you? do you actually get? Well, in recent years, uh, you know, my uh, my colleague in New York uh, by Dr. Oren Tepper and myself, we designed and patented 3D splints. So based off of the simulation that we create afterwards for postoperative swelling, uh, we have a 3D structured splint. Imagine it's almost like a series of three splints that are like uh, adjustable trays for the teeth, and they fit onto the nose once the surgical splint comes off. And we'll go into more detail on this. But that alone, should I would say in 95% of my patients, that first splint fits perfectly. And if the first one doesn't, the second one does. So it lets you know that the shape is there and uh, the size discrepancy is based off of the amount of swelling that you have. Uh, So if we're creating, you know, if we're overpromising, we're creating this simulation that clearly isn't going to be an issue, uh, you will know by the time that that splint comes out. And so it's uh, just one way for me to uh, keep myself and my, uh, you know, what I'm proposing in check. So after the consultation and the simulation, um, you know, some patients, some surgeons use a you know, uh, different types of programs, Adobe Illustrator and, and, and things like that to, to create a simu- you know, virtual simulation as well. I just tend to like the Vectra 3D simulator because you can see it from all angles and it really gives you an idea of how it looks on the face. So now the actual operation, we're looking at open versus closed. Remember, it's the exact same thing except for an incision between the nostrils. When we make incisions around the nose this is a very specialized area of skin so the virtually this sc- this scar should be virtually imperceptible by three months usually sooner but i say three months just because uh, we want to give it some time um, if it's not then we can laser or microneedle or do something but usually that skin heals to the point where you shouldn't see it Operation usually takes, you know, depending if it's a close for a minor, that can be an hour. If it's a open rhinoplasty, sometimes it's two to three hours. Uh, and afterwards, usually we have a splint on the outside that kind of prevents swelling, molds the nose. You have two little rubber splints uh, on the inside. I use ones that have tubes in them so you can breathe. I do not pack the nose. I know that some uh, surgeons do. Um, But uh, for me, I think that that, uh, it's torture when that packing comes out. And these silicone splints provide the same amount of support. Um, I haven't had, you know, many problems uh, just using that instead of packing. Um, and then the little stitches between the nostrils if we are doing an open rhinoplasty. The other place for uh, stitches can be around the base of the nose. So let's say you come in and you want a more refined nose, but you have very flared nostrils or a widened nose. Sometimes ethnic nose can be a little wider, uh, you know, from uh, a black nose or a mestizo. Or something like that. But we can easily reduce the size of that flaring. We can reduce the size of the nostrils. And again, those are hidden incisions. Uh, We can recreate the smooth nostril contour and it can look extremely natural. Um, Afterwards, you know, uh, that stays on for the week. Um, I always recommend little pro tips. Sometimes we, uh, a few days before surgery and uh, starting two days before surgery then a day before surgery and each day following that week of surgery, people take Arnica. I also recommend pineapple smoothies because it's uh, using some of the core of the pineapple because it's got bromelain in it and those two things help reduce the amount of bruising and swelling. Um, afterwards, uh, you know, and, I, and sometimes I use a, a medrol dose pack just for swelling purposes. Um, at a week, you come back, we take the splints off, we slide those little internal splints out, you take the stitches out, you look in the mirror and you get an idea of what your nose is going to look like. And then poof the nose swells. Mm -hmm. That's what the nose does. And sometimes it's a little disconcerting. And that's why uh, traditionally we've used tape. We've used steri-strips, and kind of squeezed the nose into a position. Um, And about two years ago, moved over into these 3D custom splints. And so far we have two studies that are showing the superiority of these splints over traditional taping. And so I think this is going to be the wave of the future. Uh, One thing I didn't comment on during the operation itself, uh, there are multiple different ways of performing a rhinoplasty. We have preservation rhinoplasty, which really you use the existing structure of the nose and just kind of alter the angle. Um, You know, we have a traditional reductive rhinoplasty. um, But I, regardless of which ones we use, I use what's called a piezoelectric instrument. And this is an ultrasound-assisted device Imagine if I put a saw or sander from this device on my skin, nothing happens. But if I put it onto the nasal bones, it creates a nice smooth postage stamp, and I can manipulate the bones. So it's technically it's much more or much less traumatic uh, than using the old hammer and chisel. Um, Now back to when you come back to the office you know, the idea is we, we have an entire protocol to keep the nose nice and clean. So it's not caked full of dried blood and things like that. Um, and if it's nice and clean, it's one of the easiest things in the world. I know uh, patients come in and they're all nervous and they've heard of horror stories and things like that, but you keep, you follow that protocol and I'll tell you, you barely even notice when those stitches come out and, uh, you know, sometimes uh, the internal splints that comes out, people say they feel good because you suddenly alleviate that pressure. From there, whether or not you have thickened skin or you need steroid injections or uh, a new little... Uh, adjunct is called 5-FU, 5-fluorouracil. And these can all reduce the amount of swelling with while minimizing some of the side effects. The whole goal is to mold and shape the nose, which again, this is another plug for those 3D splints because that's what they're doing. Essentially squeezing out some of the tissue fluid and giving you a much later result earlier. When people tell me, when am I going to see my final nose? Listen, that's gonna be 12 to 18 months, sometimes longer, depending on the thickness of the skin. Now, it's already gonna look better at a week or two, but for you to see a true final result where it's that last little millimeter of definition, that's gonna take at least 12 months. 18 uh, you know, is more realistic. Now, the majority of the swelling is gone, I always say, by six weeks. So let's say 70% of the swelling is gone by six weeks. The using these 3D splints, you know, we can get closer to a six-month result at six weeks. So the whole goal is to get you into the smaller and smaller conforming splint, squeeze out some of that tissue edema or fluid, and uh, you can start seeing a more uh, quote-unquote final appearance to the nose much earlier. Um, You know, I, I usually say, even though it's going to look better at a week or two, Uh, There's a six-week minimum mandatory requirement if you have a photo shoot, a wedding, some type of event that we go to. Uh, Just because sometimes the smile's a little stiff. Upper lip is stiff. It's sore. Sometimes the teeth are sore because you have to imagine what's the floor of the nose connected to? The roof of the mouth. And so some of those nerves get a little bruised up and so you can start uh, feeling that. One, you know, when I meet people for a preoperative visit, and I, I don't know about you, Pay, I think, um, you know, the whole goal is setting their expectations. And so hey, you'll never hear me say, man, this is going to be perfect. Don't worry about it. Uh, you know, we'll just breeze over these things. It, it, you know, I'm, I'm sure you've heard me just like you do with your breast augmentation. For me, I always say, listen, you're going to read about infection and bleeding and death and things like that. Those those are less common, you know, let's say the infection and bleeding occurs in less than 1% of individuals. I suppose if it happens to you, you feel like 100%, but it's definitely on the rare end. For me, some of the common complications that I would see would be contour irregularities, you know, in certain lighting or you feel it or um, you can see tiny little contours, but uh, unless they're you know, large, obtrusive regularities, most of these make for a natural nose. I mean, most of us have regularities on our nose now. If it's something that uh, just doesn't look right, obviously we inject with steroids and uh, if that doesn't work, then at the appropriate time, we have minor revisions. For me, the biggest complication, and this is really important for everyone, I think they should uh, keep in mind. Um, for me, the biggest complication is that you don't like it. Right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's in the middle of your face. You can't hide it. Uh, A lot of this has to do with early post-operative swelling. Even in my mentor's hands who have been doing this for 40 plus years, they still take 5% of people back to the operating room. That's a real number. That's one in 20. Now, it also means that 95% are happy, but, uh, you know, this was what tells you how difficult this could be. And new studies are showing that those, those numbers can even be higher if we talk about, you know, we're getting much more detailed and much more specific and we're more photos. So that number is slowly creeping up there. So you should always ask your surgeon, you know, what's your revision rate? Because, uh, you know, and I think most of us are going to be pretty honest. I'm, you know, any board certified plastic surgeon who does rhinoplasty will tell you. If they tell you that they ha- they don't do revision, they you know, they don't have to, run. Because we're lying. I'd be lying if I said I didn't have to revise some of my own. The idea is we never leave the operating room unless we think that it looks perfect. We think that it looks good. Things can happen. Stitches can break, cartilage can warp, swelling adds to that. And so uh, sometimes when we inject steroids, it can weaken some of the cartilage, it can thin some of the skin. So the idea is, you know, although we can inject some of those things, we try to avoid it if we re- truly don't have to. So don't force your surgeon to do it. Uh, but these are, you know, I would say, That would be the biggest complication, and that's something that you have to consider going into this. I always tell people the same thing. I say, listen, in the beginning, if it's due to swelling, we'll inject with 5-FU or steroids or whatever we need to do. We'll help mold the nose however I can. If you don't like it, then I will fix it at the appropriate time. And usually across the board, most uh, board-certified plastic surgeons will tell you that it's at least one year. The reason for that is because now we have a pretty good idea of what's left. You don't want to go in early because there's, you know, you've got scar tissue and inflammation and swelling and you can't truly see uh, what went wrong. Now there are those, uh, you know, rare instances where, you know, right off the bat, nose uh, suddenly starts looking like it's going left and this happens within the week. Um, you know, and, and each surgeon has to make their own decision on what they think is right. Um, you know, usually we try to avoid going back into the operating room as early as we can. I, you know, that, this is what we are talking about is really reconst, uh, sorry, a cosmetic uh, rhinoplasty. Um, I also wanted to comment on the reconstructive aspect. You know, The not only external portion, we talked about some of the breathing issues that goes both, you know, for either cosmetic or reconstruction. But you have to imagine we are also trained as board certified plastic surgeons or facial plastic surgeons uh, on recreating or reconstructing portions of the nose. So let's say you have a large skin cancer that's at the tip of your nose you know, we send someone to a dermatologist and they do Mohs surgery thinking it's going to be just a tiny little scrape. And then all of a sudden they send it to me and they're, you, you've lost the tip of your nose. Um, sometimes they have to take out cartilage. Sometimes they have to take out the internal mucosa of the nose. Now this is much more complex surgery. Uh, you know, the idea is we recreate those three layers. Sometimes we have to use your own Uh, ear cartilage or rib cartilage or even cadaver rib cartilage. Sometimes we have to use the skin on your forehead and rotate it down to recreate the nasal tip skin because that tends to be very similar to nasal tip skin. Uh, We rotate flaps from the corners of the nose and over the sides of the face, anything to help repair like with like. Uh, And so the reconstructive aspect is extremely important as well. I thought maybe what I would do is kind of go over some case scenarios uh, and run the gamut. But before I do, I'm gonna tell you, you know, a quick story and and Dr. Danny Poor, you know him well. Um, but this was a, at the time, a 35-year-old male who had gotten into an altercation and the assailant uh, bit his nose off, bit the tip of his nose off. Now, uh, he was going to have it repaired elsewhere uh, in a different country, and I, uh, you know, had heard that this had happened. Uh, We hadn't really become friends yet, but um, at this point, uh, got in touch with him and said, listen, come up, we'll do the surgery pro bono, um, and uh, I'll do everything I can to, uh, to help. When I first saw him, I will never forget because both of us, when he, we took the bandages off, we, had, you know, eyes welled up with tears. This was, this guy was a model, uh, you know, extremely good looking uh, individual and just was in the wrong place at the wrong time. And he was forever scarred and this could have changed his life forever. I mean, you know, you're missing the tip of your nose. It's not like you lost an earlobe. This isn't in a Ho- Van der Holofield where you, you lost the part of your ear. This is, you lost the tip of your nose, including cartilage in- with a hole. You could see, you know, the septum itself. You could see into the mucosa of the nose, okay? So mm-hmm. now that you visualize that and most of you are cringing, um, The thought, my mind is racing as to, all right, what am I going to do? Um, So he underwent, uh, I think, six surgeries. Wow. Um, So one of the major ones uh, was really to replace all three of those layers. And so we took a little piece of skin and a skin graft, created what's called a forehead flap in the shape of the tip of a nose, put the skin graft on the underside of it, And uh, we had to take some cartilage. Uh, And so I remember taking some rib cartilage, some of his own rib cartilage. We take it through a small incision that's under the pectoralis, uh, you know, under the pec muscle and carved out new cartilage. And we had to rotate that flap. Now imagine this is truly looking like the elephant man. So for three weeks, he had a rotated flap with an open wound on his forehead. We closed that as best we could, um, but it literally was uh, tethered and twisted by the bridge of his nose, right in between the eyes, and it was a cap that stayed on the nose. And then three weeks later, we took it down and I basically trimmed it, put the skin back up, uh, you know, where it came from, a minus what had covered the tip of his nose. So now imagine we've recreated the entire tip of the nose, but it looks like a piece of gum stuck on there because, it, you know, <laughs> or it looks like Bozo the Clown because obviously it's a big mass of whatever. Um, and so multiple minor surgeries to follow is really what we call thinning the flap and refining and doing things like that. And I can confidently say after all minor surgeries, uh, you know, over the process of the next year and a half, um, he, uh, you know, he he met the girl of his dreams. He's had a baby uh, and he looks like the old person uh, that we met originally. And now we've become good friends. And, uh, you know, I hear from him often. He's just a fantastic individual. So I can vouch for all of that. Yeah, it was just one of those cases that, uh, you know, uh, well, uh, I remember presenting it at Cedar sinai at the Grand Rounds. And, you know, I guess when you've completed an operation where the rest of the surgeons look up in awe and say, you know, nice work, you know, you could pat yourself on the back all the time. In fact, there are a lot of plastic surgeons in the area that do that on a daily basis. But uh, <laughs> when, when your colleagues are telling you that, it really... Really felt good. So, um, and it felt so good to to change this guy's life. And that's the key behind this, though. You know, if you know how to
1: reconstruct someone's nose that's completely lost their nose to do a cosmetic operation, is significantly, I don't want to say easier, but you have the knowledge to do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. You can, I'll never forget we were in training and we had Dr. Guyron, very famous, famous, famous rhinoplasty surgeon, written all the books and he was standing in front of us. He's like, how do you, pinch, how do you rotate the tip up? How do you, and he was just asking for que- question and answer. And at that time there was, you know, you knew some, you just read it, but after you're done doing these types of procedures, mm-hmm you just feel comfortable doing anything doing a rhinoplasty on a 23 year old woman that just wants a more refined nose is like a piece of cake compared to what you did for yeah. for a friend
0: you know it's interesting i what you were alluding to you know volume and feeling comfortable and doing it over and over i'll never forget my first rhinoplasty residency and you i mean you you feel confident because you've just read an article or you know multiple books and uh, you know you you've planned out the operation in your mind but you have never n- not only uh, deconstructed the operation, you know, s- you know, took a look at the, uh, the precise anatomy that's necessary to correct and look at them long-term. I mean, that's, and so now, you know, fortunately enough, building up this practice, uh, having uh, done many, many noses, I think, um, I'll never forget, uh, I went to a, a rhinoplasty conference And I went up to Rick Davis, who, again, arguably one of the best uh, rhinoplasty surgeons I know, um, and asked him, I said, listen, I'm a a budding, uh, a neophyte uh, rhinoplasty surgeon. Do you have any, uh, you know, advice for me? And he said, recommendations or anything that you can tell me to give me hope. And he said, man, I wish I could do my first 5,000 noses over. (laughs) (laughs) I thought, 5,000 That he wished he could have done over. So it tells you these guys have been doing it for 40 years. And, um, you know, you learn so much. Even my own approach has changed so much. You remember Uh uh, from the very beginning where you're trying to be as conservative as you can. And now to where you realize where you're going wrong, what needs to be done. um, You know, so in the beginning, that revision rate is much higher than what, you know, the uh, proposed 5%. So that's,
1: that's a testament to the expert. Mm -hmm. An expert only tries to get better and better and better and make his or her game multifaceted and just all around better in every way. you can look at it, you can take this and apply it to athletes. If -hmm. someone has a, has a very one-sided type of game, they want to add more sides to their game Mm -hmm. so they can be even better. And that's what you do. And I mean, I can come into my office on a regular basis and and John's in here and just watching videos of other people because he never thinks he's the best. And that's the key. <laughs> it really is the key to being, to being an excellent surgeon and a doctor is constantly, constantly learning and evolving because things do change. And this is a science and an art. Now the art he's got and the science continually evolves because there's some stuff that we did 15, 20 years ago that mm-hmm. we don't do anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's important because if you keep doing the stuff that didn't work, well, you're going to set yourself up for failure.
0: Sure just the advent of preservation rhinoplasty, just the you know usage and, and you know increasing popularity of the piezotome. Uh, we are looking for ways of reshaping the nose without creating so much trauma. And I think one of the key takeaways for me each time you know it's very easy to remove portions uh, of the nose. We can make it smaller cuter whatever it is because it, whether its through a closed or open rhinoplasty. But the issue is leaving the appropriate support behind. Um, again, I, I had alluded to it earlier. If we talk about, a, you know, closed versus open rhinoplasty, closed. Listen, the advantages are there are zero external incisions, so you don't even have to run the risk if the potentially doesn't heal as well as you'd like. You you know, and you had to get it revised. There's none that you can externally see. I think the downside of that in, uh, that operation is that you know, the majority of it is, and for those of you who have closed rhinoplasty surgeons, you know, you know, the inside, the operation is performed inside out and upside down. And um, you, it's not as easy. Now, can you get to the nose and apply support and do things, but it's not as easy. And, um, you know, I think that sometimes we feel that doing a closed rhinoplasty obviates the need to, uh, to leave support because, You know, you you didn't dismantle something, so, you know, why should it be affected? It's not always the case. I mean, you know, I look at, uh, you know, Bella Hadid's nose. I mean, for the first six months, it looked absolutely phenomenal. It's a closed rhinoplasty. And now when I look at her, um, I start seeing a little bit of collapse of the mid-vault. Arguably, listen, she's absolutely gorgeous regardless. And so, you know, I don't mean to any disrespect. Um, but the idea is if we look at certain noses that underwent closed rhinoplasty, I see over time a little bit more of a collapse because we're not leaving the appropriate support behind. I'm not saying that every closed rhinoplasty surgeon does that. Um, and but
1: it's easier to. And it makes it an easier operation. It looks really good for mm-hmm. the first couple of years, mm-hmm. maybe even can't. the first couple of months.
0: Sure. I, I think open rhinoplasty is superior. Uh, and again, this is only my, my opinion, but I think it's superior because um, you have direct visualization of each one of the thirds of the nose. So I can leave the appropriate support. When you leave the operating room, you can touch that nose and you know uh, that is not going to collapse. That's not going to fall apart, uh, you know, just because you've left the support that you need. Sometimes you can't see how flimsy the cartilage is once you get to it. Um, you know, and you can press on externally on the nose, you can do whatever you want, but sometimes the skin adds to the integrity. And, um, you know, when you're removing a portion uh, of cartilage just to kind of narrow something, you can't see that. Boy, oh boy, without support, that thing's going to collapse. So um, for me and my hands, I think that, um, you know, for a true rhinoplasty where I'm straightening a nose or really lifting the tip or, you know, really altering the shape of the nose, I think that an, an open is superior. Hello, beautiful people. To celebrate the launch of Forever Young, we'd like to offer our listeners a special discount on our premium line of skincare products at beverlyhillsmd.com.
1: Go to beverlyhillsmd.com and use the promo code foreveryoung20 to get 20% off your first order. That's beverlyhillsmd.com, promo code foreveryoung20. Please share, rate, and review on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Be right back after this break.
0: I figured right now maybe we could even go over some case scenarios and you can think about even some patients that we've seen in the past or you know uh, that we've operated on and and we've seen some of the results and, and So and I was going like I was going to
1: ask you a couple questions mm-hmm. um because I see certain certain tr- not trends but certain things that that you see regularly somebody comes in for a rhinoplasty consult first question how old is the, what's the right age? So if I'm a girl, I, I'm 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 I've got a daughter. I bring her daughter in. She is a you know sophomore in high school. She's like 15, mm-hmm. and she just she just is self conscious. She hates the way she looks. Sure. Um, when is it too early for her? Versus when is it too early for for a man? And when is it too late? Sure.
0: Um, that's an excellent question. It's something that uh, we encounter how how many times a a week, but, um, the idea is this, listen, you would always love to wait until someone's an adult, 18 years of age, uh, they can make their own decision. Um, but that, that doesn't always apply. The idea, the true answer is when is it too early? You want to make sure that that particular patient has made it through uh, skeletal maturation. We want to make sure that they've made it through their growth phase, and that skeletal maturity is clearly, uh, you know, is clearly a thing that has passed. Um, you know, because what you don't want to do is operate on someone who has yet to make it through, uh, you know, puberty, and stunt the growth of some of the bones of the face. And so, usually, the earliest, and, and I would always say, listen. You know, can you operate on a 15-year-old female? Yeah, you can, Um, especially if they had precocious puberty and they made it through that uh, skeletal maturation. Um, I would like to see that uh, incorporated if there was someone who had a severe obstruction. And, you know, it can't just be, listen, I'm not popular at school, let me fix my nose. I think it's someone who, if this person has turned uh, reclusive and is not, joining social functions is not, uh, you know, or unable to breathe in sports or something like that, then I would consider doing someone, uh, you know, that's 15 or 16 years old. Um, As opposed to males, because skeletal maturation occurs at a slightly later age, um, I think 16 would be the earliest for me. Obviously, I would love to wait until they're 17 or 18. Um, But again, if someone comes in and Listen, you're a sophomore in high school. Uh, Some of these things can, you know, reactions from from people uh, they can uh, dictate the rest of your life. You know, people who are uh, shunned or they're extremely self, uh, you know, they don't they lack that self confidence, um, or they they're not mingling with other uh, you know kids their age. They have no social life uh, because they're afraid of how they're going to be perceived you know, this causes mental duress. This is uh, something that can affect them for the rest of their life. And so these are some formative years. I think, um, you know, everybody forgets about that. It's not just, you know, I turn 16, I get my nose done. Um, You know, I think I I try to push those off as late as I possibly can.
1: And it's interesting because I see it a lot, especially in our practices. Um, We get that the combo girl is going to college, her breasts are very large, and her nose is also mm. or or she's having breathing problems. and it's and it's really kind of a, a good time. And, and this is my opinion and recommendation. Do it in between high school and college. You've got mm. a little bit of time. you can recuperate, and then you can start college. With your new nose and smaller breasts, or whatever it is, because there is combined procedures we do, but those are th- that 's very common for somebody a girl that 's going into to to college um, that really has these problems and felt like it was a little too early in high school, although we 've seen them earlier. Um, my other question for you is. The whole concept of facial balance, um, and when you when you see someone for a rhinoplasty, and this is something we're taught from the first day of medical of of, of plastic surgery residency, is look at the face and analyze it. And there there are certain dimensions and ratios of the face mm-hmm. that we keep in mind. And when you're doing the nose, it really really matters for facial balance. Mm-hmm. What else? And what other? kind of procedures are done at the same time to achieve
0: facial balance? Sure. Excellent question. I think, you know, one of the most commonly paired surgeries with a rhinoplasty is a chin augmentation. And the reason for that is because from the profile, the idea is if you could draw a straight line, you know, kind of between the eyes, base of the nose, and then down to the chin, you'd like that to be nice and straight. If you have a retrusive chin or what we call microgenia, Um, sometimes it can make the mid face appear much longer. So people come in and they complain, oh, my nose is too large uh, for my face, too long for my face. And after we do the Vectra 3D simulation, um, it turns out that they actually have the perfect length to the nose. It's just the chin is so retrusive that it makes the nose appear longer. So then I show them, if we add volume, how it can balance the face. And the good part about uh, chin augmentation you know, that is a small uh, incision, you know, less than two centimeters under the chin. I think, you know, 50% of all males have it. And it usually heals so well that a female shouldn't be worried about it. There's a second way of doing it. It's I used to do this. It was an intraoral way. There were two incisions. Um, but I think you just have a higher rate of infection. It's not much higher, but, you know, you've doubled your chances from one to two percent. And, um, you know, it goes under the connective tissue of the bone. So once that implant's in there, it's a hardened silicone implant. Um, Once that goes under the connective tissue of the bone, that's your chin. It's not like a breast implant that has to be replaced or moves or you lean on it and it it shifts. Um, You know, that feels like your chin and it's a a hardened implant. And very important what he's saying because
1: people come in here and and when you give them the recommendation of a chin chin augmentation, they think it's like the biggest procedure in the world. Mm -hmm. and I don't want to play anything down, but out of all the procedures we do, this may be the easiest for the patient. Um, it's relatively painless. People feel pretty comfortable. Your mouth feels a little stiff for a couple, maybe maybe a week or so. Um, but it's but it, and and you don't have the postoperative complications that you do with other types of implants, like you said. Mm-hmm. So so it's it's important, I think, that that when you do see the uh, the uh, plastic surgeon for your rhinoplasty consultation. Please take into account all of their recommendations because sometimes just doing your nose, you'll keep looking at yourself and say there's something off, mm-hmm. or facial balance isn't there, and that little bit millimeters of projection at the chin really just restore facial balance and everything looks a lot better.
0: Definitely, I mean, we look at the, <coughs> excuse me, we look at the difference between you know, the distance that your eyes are, you know, from our apart. we we look from the front, from the side, from the three quarter view, what we call the worm's eye view from below to look at the nostrils or the base of the nose. We look from the bird's eye view, you know, which not many people see. Uh, but the idea is the nose is a three dimensional structure that goes with the face. So if we're trying to balance and give you the perfect aesthetic to the nose, then obviously we have to look at that uh, in relation to the rest of the face. And, and here's another question because
1: this is something else that that people don't necessarily understand: is everyone's different. And when when there's there's chapters about this called ethnic rhinoplasty, for example. Um, so therefore, a, if if an African-American or a Hispanic or a Middle Eastern uh, man or woman comes in, um, or Asian um, comes in and wants a rhinoplasty. The approach to each person is very different. Mm -hmm. Um, And it depends on what the person's actually looking for. But I think maybe you can touch on that a little bit because people think that you know if I bring in, I'm going to throw this out and I'm going to ask you this after this, but if I bring in a picture of you and say, I want my nose to look like yours, you may look at me and say, well, that's not going to really fit your face. So let's discuss what we can do to make you look the best version of you.
0: Definitely. You know, and, um, Ashkan Gavami just wrote a book on this, uh, The Ethnic Rhinoplasty, um, you know, and he's extremely uh, educated on this. And, um, you know, I'm just a talented surgeon. I think um, the idea is that there is no one size fits all. That's where I think the 3D simulation comes into play because, um, you know, it gives you a visual of what the goal will be. So in a, uh, an African-American nose, a black nose um, or a mestizo nose where we're lacking bridge you know, height, um, this is something that we, it's a little more complex. Usually what I'll do is I'll take rib cartilage um, or cadaver rib cartilage. And um, use a favorite procedure done by Jay Calvert, which is, uh, you know, really dice cartilage fascial graft. So you take temporal fascia, which is, you know, kind of the area on the side of the head. We make an incision and we take a thin but very durable connective tissue. It's, you know, sheet like and we wrap it uh, around some dice cartilage and you place that into the nose on the bridge and it creates height. And uh, after probably about two to three weeks, it hardens, and that becomes the bridge of the nose. So you know, that is very different than a uh, Middle Eastern nose with a very large hump. Uh, we call it maybe a tension nose where it's over-projected and uh, tends to be drooping, a drooping tip, um, you know, where that's more of a reductive rhinoplastic. We're, we're reducing the size of the nose and raising it. Um, and I had talked about earlier, the nostrils play such a huge role. I can make you know, the cutest nose in the world. And if we leave the alar bases, which is the rims of the, uh, you know, the, the base of the nose by the nostrils, um, you know, it can look very flared. And so to balance out the nose, we make those hidden decisions that I talked about earlier and really medialize or reduce the width of the base of the nose.
1: Now, um, along the same line, Somebody comes in to see you. What is the who or who is the most common person that somebody comes in and says, "I want a nose like them"? For a man and for a woman. I'm just curious because it always shifts and things change every couple of years, depending on who's like the big famous model out there. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just wondering if the person that they're telling you that they're or their, you know, I guess their their inspiration photos. Are people that have had rhinoplasties, or do they have natural noses? Sure.
0: Listen, I, I do want to preface it by saying that I do think that inspiration photos are always a good idea because... Um, so I, I'll have this, we'll create a simulation, we'll agree to a simulation, they'll bring in an inspiration photo that's completely different. And the idea, and you know, the same thing the happens with breast augmentation. They say, I want to stay, you know, I want to stay relatively small, and then they'll bring in, you know, double Ds or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, you, you, We have to continually do this with patients because we want to make sure that we are on the same page setting the appropriate expectations. Um, it used to be, listen, uh, Kim Kardashian's nose was always, uh, you know, brought up as one of the best that people have seen. And that's what they wanted to emulate, Um, you know, and this was back in the day, closed rhinoplasty, uh, done by a local surgeon and, um, you know, it really worked out well for her. Um, Now I'm seeing more and more Monica Bellucci, which is uh, not as refined of a tip, but it's still aesthetically pleasing. Um, You know, for males, I don't know that many of them bring in inspiration photos. Um, the idea is that, uh, most of them, when we do the simulation, they, you know, they either say yay or nay, I mean, right off the bat. And so, um, but I, I noticed it used to be where people, you know, especially females, they would bring in celebrity photos. Now it's, uh, influencer photos, Hmm. you know, people they see on Instagram A lot of that is not fair because uh, trust me, we see a lot of influencers here in the office and uh, some of them you wouldn't even recognize uh, when you see them in person, Um, you know, not that they're not beautiful, but um, with these new apps, with FaceTune and filters and things like that, it, that is, it's not the same person anymore. And I think society is being held to such a different standard now because um, you know, these, these women uh, aren't even real. You know, yes. you know, you see, and and now uh, the simulations or the filters are are so advanced that they can do them while they are uh, in video. Uh, so you wow. really have a skewed perception of what is reality. I think the idea, you know, back in the 90s, when 80s and 90s, when the ski slope was a, was a great idea, um, you know, now we obviously realize that that wasn't. And uh, I think now we are really trying to go with a more, um, you know, conservative but aesthetic uh, view. So for females, you know, if you look at this from the profile, we want the profile to be nice and straight, and then it kind of kicks up a little bit at the tip. We call it a super tip break, and we want the rotation of the nose. We don't want it upturned, you know, too piggish or snoutish, but we do want that to be, you know, around 102 degrees. Whereas for males, uh, we want a straight profile. Sometimes even having a tiny little hump on there is still masculine. And the degree is more like 95 degrees, 97 degrees, you know, something like that, 95 to 98. Um, and so uh, there are s- specific things that overall, uh, those can be averages. Now, it doesn't work on everyone. And so that's why if a surgeon is creating the same thing every single time, you will lose because eventually you're going to hit a face where it those proportions do not match. Um, and, and listen, patients still can like it, uh, but the idea is, is that the perfect nose? No, I think each one has to be tailored uh, to that specific individual.
1: Now, one thing you said that that kind of rung a bell too, and this is some some of the other surgeons, our colleagues will call people out. We, we aren't, That brave. But um, it's interesting because you'll see surgeons that, and this is something for you guys out there, that if you're looking to get your nose done, make sure you see multiple views. Mm -hmm. Meaning if someone's just throwing a picture up of a profile, well, come on guys, I can, I can put filler in your nose and make it look like it's been done. Sure, You, you have to look at it from every angle and that's what Dr. Lakey was just talking about. So it needs to be one from the front, the side, from the bottom. All of these views show you different angles of the nose. So you get an idea of what your nose is going to look like because it's not fair for a before and after to just have one view because we don't walk you know we are three dimensional, <sighs> yeah. really, actually four D in a lot of ways. So, so you you don't necessarily just see one
0: angle. So that's very important. Mm-hmm. There and, are five real views, absolutely. And and sometimes listen, sometimes we don't even show all of them, but at least we'll show three. Yes. Um, you know, is it important for me to show you a bird's eye view? Ah, probably not. But um, sometimes from below, that worm's eye view is a good thing. It just shows that nostril symmetry. M- really important ones, obviously front side oblique views because those are very common views. Believe it or not, uh, one of the most uh, important views, uh, you know, everybody is worried about their profile. Um, You know, really, unless you walk into a room sideways, we can put anyone's nose on your face. People still recognize you for you. You know, that's why you wear a mask and people, your friends and family know exactly who you are based off your eyes. Um, But a really important one is the three-quarter view. Believe it or not, as humans, it's very aggressive to look each other straight in the eyes for a long period of time. So notice the next time you're talking to your friends, they'll talk to you and they'll look away. They'll talk to you and look down. They'll talk to you and look over somewhere else because that's human nature. That and we feel uncomfortable when someone continually, you know, it's like they're burning a hole through you. They, that's where these <laughs> phrases come from. So um, you know, those at least those three views should be shown, if not all of them.
1: And you you hit on something earlier, which I think also is, is kind of important here too, because, you know, facial trauma, especially to the nose happens very frequently. I've mm-hmm. broken my nose many times. We, we don't want to get Same into here. it
0: and tell
1: you about why and how, but, <laughs> it, you know, breaking your nose can cause-
0: Usually we've done something stupid. Uh, absolutely. You know,
1: it. But it can, it can cause aesthetic and functional problems Mm -hmm. and a lot of people that come in here they will say that they'll say hey uh, i broke my nose when i was younger sometimes yes and sometimes no but um the question i'm just going to bring up real quick so let's say um i call the office and i broke my nose three days ago Mm -hmm. and it's huge and it's shattered and it looks awful okay tell me two things one is that immediate fracture what do you do First question. Mm -hmm. Second question is What do you do about the person who broke it a month ago? Sure. And comes in and you see the nose is crooked and
0: there's a bump? Mm -hmm. Great questions. So, listen, ideally, you break your nose initially, would love to reset it right away. So, if I see a deviation, you know, we don't always have to get a CT scan or an X ray. If you can visually see it, um, you know, then it'd be great to reset the nose. Um, because you may never get that that second chance. Then the nose swells. So if you come and you're two days out, well, we're just going to make you wait four or five days for the swelling to resolve so we can truly see. Because sometimes what happens, the nasal bones themselves swell, the piece moves out of position and then as the swelling resolves it snaps right back into the the place it's supposed to be. So really if we you you know if at that point we still see a major deformity uh, then we'll go ahead and we do what's called a closed reduction nasal bone fracture. So what we do it's that we want to do that within the first 3 weeks.
1: So and- important guys, the first 3 weeks if you break your nose, you can get it set. After that You gotta wait.
0: Yep, after that, listen, uh, you know, at about three weeks, the bones kind of have their own internal glue. By six weeks, they're completely healed. And then what we do is we make you wait three months and then you perform a formal rhinoplasty. So if it happened a month ago, you're gonna wait another two months and then we'll, uh, you know, we'll reassess.
1: We hope you're enjoying this episode. If you'd like more information about our practice, you can check out our Instagram, it's stocks. P-L-A-S-T-I-X-D-O-C-S on Instagram for more information. Dr. Daniel Poor and
0: I will be back after a quick break.
1: For the routine person that comes in to have surgery with you um, that has no medical problems and is a young person, mm-hmm. um, what is the work of for doing a rhinoplasty? Do you have to get a CT scan on everyone? Is there a major medical clearance for everyone? Do you just get blood tests? Is there general anesthesia, those types of things?
0: Yeah, I mean, listen, this can be debated depending on who you talk to. I think as far as recommended guidelines, a young, healthy individual that's you know in their 20s we get a, you know, after a thorough examination, obviously, if there's any major breathing issues or a history of sinus infections and repeated sinus infections, things like that, then yeah, I would get a CAT scan of the mackerel facial bones. If someone comes in, they have, you know, mild uh, you know breathing issues, um, or they have no breathing issues. I'm not going to get a CAT scan on them. It's a, you know I think it's uh, oh, okay. it's a, a little over the top. Um, you know we have to as physicians we're still as plastic surgeons we're still doctors and the idea is we have to listen to the histories. If they've had a history of easy bruising and bleeding or oh I had teeth work done and I, they, my teeth bled for a few days you got to pay attention. So, you know, you can't just get cursory labs. They'd have to get worked up. Or if, you know, a young female uh, often has irregular heartbeats or something like that, you know, you want to be prepared. Last thing you want is a perfect nose on a corpse. And so the goal is we want to do, we want to do the right thing per each patient. Now on average, We see someone who's relatively uncomplicated. You know, we get labs that will assess for you know basic uh, electrolytes. We look at their blood levels, and then you look at their clotting factors. Obviously, females, pregnancy test. um, You know, and so um, we we can keep it to a relative minimum because this is a a very common procedure with minimal uh, side effects or downtime. So, and and my
1: last question mm -hmm. um, is. When do you tell your patients that what you see is what you get? Now, in the sense that I know, and and this is one of the reasons I don't do Mm rhinoplasties, is it takes a long time for that final form of the nose to really be kind of there. Um, And I know the swelling because I've seen it, you know, and I've and I've seen it, um, you know, because I've taken care of the patients and I've I've had relatives who've had it. Um, So you know. Three months, six months, nine months, a year?
0: Yeah. What for do you think? For me, what you see is what you get. I mean, if they approach 18 months, uh, unless they have very thick skin, thick skin can take three years, sometimes more. I mean, it's just your skin will continue to change. Some people we have to put on Accutane to, uh, to thin that skin. Um, you know, there are all kinds of things that can be done um, or ha- may have to be done. But your nose will continue to change. And that's, when, you know, again, going back to what we talked about earlier, your nose will continue to change. a common myth that your nose keeps growing along with your ears. Really what happens is we lose bone. And so the nose appears longer because it has drooped slightly um, and the earlobes get longer and that. So that's why the ear looks bigger. But, um, you know, I, I think that uh, if we're going to say someone with thin skin, it's going to be 12 to 18 months. Someone with thicker skin, I can take three years. Now,
1: away. again, this doesn't mean it's not going to look great right away. Mm-hmm. It just takes time for the swelling to really go down. And, yeah, and okay. it's interesting because a lot of people do these reveals on Instagram where they take their casts off. And it looks really good, right, when you take the cast off. But mm-hmm. you said this earlier, that it really swells a lot after that. Definitely. Um And what what is it that you do that sets you apart from most people after surgery, because this is something kind of cool, and not everyone does this, and it's kind of a new, more innovative um, the splint, so to say, yeah, that you guys that's are what using.
0: We were talking about earlier. I just think it's, you know, Oren Tepper and I came up with this idea because he does a lot of 3D technology. You know, he removed the conjoined twins, um, and the thought behind this was we were going to create the perfect splint that someone could take on and off. It was less obtrusive than a surgical splint and we could essentially mold the nose. So we came up with this idea and uh, work with a company called miramu 3D and, and Jordan Mills is an amazing uh, CEO of this. And so we collaborated together and we've already done multiple studies uh, that are coming out of Montefiore and, um, and our practice as well. And, and we've shown that this is far superior to uh, traditional taping. And I think... It, it provides support, it helps mold the nose, and I feel, uh, you know, and, and we'll be publishing some um, new data soon, but I do think that we'll be able to, um, you know, give a much later result earlier. So it's- it, It's great, and I've seen these
1: splints, they're great because you don't have to walk around with tape on your nose and you could just, it's, it's like a clear splint that nobody can tell anything's on there. Yeah. Um, last question. I was gonna say the last one was last one. This <laughs> is the last question. So if I have a, if I have a rhinoplasty with you, um, when can I go back to doing all my regular activities?
0: Usually, what I'll say, you know, I see you on a regular, frequent, frequent basis. Uh, you know, we see at one week, two weeks, six weeks, three months, six months, nine months, a year, and then annually thereafter. And so uh, much that it's uh, kind of annoying. <laughs> <laughs> and the idea for me is, by the time you hit six weeks. You can almost do every bit of activity that you could have before. The only thing I keep you out for probably another month or six weeks is a massage, facial massage, where you put your face in the hole where your face normally swells after sitting there for an hour. You can only imagine what's gonna to happen to the nose. So we usually wait as long as we can on that. Um, but yeah, I usually say by six weeks, four weeks to exercise. Um, you know, It doesn't mean you can't walk or light hikes or things like that, but for strenuous exercise, six weeks for Pilates and yoga, anything face down like that. Um, but yeah, And one of the big things is the the reason
1: we're so cautious is the nose, the bones have been broken, the cartilage has been manipulated, and the lightest little tap can throw everything off. So for the first six weeks, we really want you guys not to go out in, in crowded areas, mm-hmm. although there's no crowded areas really because of <laughs> COVID, but, but you know, really kind of take it easy because an inadvertent bump to your nose can shift things. And we want to have that set because again that's very critical to, to your final result.
0: And uh, listen, I was gonna close out one new popular trend and that's the liquid or non-surgical rhinoplasty. Um, I just wanna say there are four indications for the non-surgical rhinoplasty. Uh, and the first one is really for uh, filling in what we call the dorsal hump. So imagine if you are a candidate, it means you've got a bump on the profile of your nose and a very deepened area between the eyes. If that's the case, then we can fill in the area between the eyes called the radix and uh, match on the distal end of the tip, and you can create a nice straight profile, something even cute. Now, if you have a, a hump on the nose, but not a very deepened area between the eyes, uh, it, it's not going. To, you're not going to be a candidate. You'll look very Greco-Roman. The nose will start from the forehead, so that's definitely not a candidate. The second... Uh, you know, indication for non-surgical rhinoplasty is when you have a drooping tip. And this definitely goes for people who are, this is primary, this is usually not someone who's already been operated on, although it can be in certain situations. Um, but this is where you inject into the tip and it creates almost what we call a, a gel columnar strut and can raise the tip of the nose. The third is for someone who's already had rhinoplasty and they have contour irregularities that just, they just don't want to go back for surgery. So you simply just fill those contour irregularities in. You can make something look really smooth. And lastly, if you have a slightly deviated nose, sometimes a combination of injections into the uh, tip of the nose or wherever you have some deviations uh, can give the illusion that the nose is straighter. Now, remember, I'm just going to say again, if you're coming in with a large nose that you want to be smaller, you are not a candidate for a non-surgical rhinoplasty. Perfect.
1: So a couple other questions for you. Um, and I asked you this before, but I'm kind of ask two questions at once. One is, do you ever say no to people? Mm-hmm. And with the same thing, how old is too old? Sure. Because you may say no if they're too old
0: too. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. Listen, um, you know, an easier answer, how old is too old? Listen, I've operated on uh, people who are in their seventies. I mean, if they're a candidate for surgery and they are medically clear and there's no indication for why they shouldn't uh, be able to change, you know, again, nose can look uh, much more bulbous. As I said before, we lose bone and the tip starts to drop. So uh, honestly, I think anyone could be, if they are... Um, mentally and physically ready for surgery, then I think, uh, you know, I don't know that there's an end age to that. Um, uh, as far as the other question we were talking about, do you ever say no? Um, listen, that's why I, I had made reference to it before. I usually ask someone, you know, what are the, what's, if you had to list something you didn't like about your nose, what would it be? And usually I stop at three different things because usually, if they say, I don't like the tip or it drops, I have a hump uh, and it's too wide. Three things, that's reasonable. If someone tells me, uh, I have a hump, tip drops, I don't like this little shadow, uh, this part is one millimeter over from here. You know, people, it's not that uh, I'm, I'm singling out those who are extremely detailed, but I am singling out the person that may, may or may not be realistic. Because the idea is we are creating a more aesthetically pleasing nose. It may not be absolutely perfect. It just might not. It's going to be aesthetically pleasing. um, But in their mind, you have to make sure that you match realistic expectations. And that's, again, why I can't stress enough, especially for the budding rhinoplasty surgeon. These are, I I know you want to do the case, um, but it'll be your worst nightmare because yeah. you will never make that person happy.
1: And is it ever the other way around where they just look really good and, mm-hmm. and you turn around? Because I know I've done this many times and maybe they've gone somewhere else and that's their problem, but uh, I'll see somebody for breast augmentation and their breasts are perfect. And I'm mm-hmm. like, why are you going to put implants in something that are perfect? It's kind of like, why are you going to do your nose if it looks great? So, and I don't know how often that is because maybe there's, you know, you do have dysmorphia in some ways for some people that look at themselves and they just really don't think they look good. I don't know how often that is with a nose though.
0: Yeah, I think, um, you know, if someone comes in and, you know, let's say it's a beautiful nose, um, you know, and I can't really see a reason to alter it, you always have to bring them through. The potential pitfalls, complications, uh, you know, for minor changes, and so sometimes you come up with a different options. That's where maybe non-surgical rhinoplasty fits into play, um, you know, because sometimes going through these large procedures are not worth ch- to change something one millimeter. So we do turn them away.
1: And then the last thing, and I'll kind of touch on it too, because this this does it gets a little. There's a fine line as to to what can be done and what can't be done, and some surgeons cross that fine line and some don't. And I know we don't, but someone comes in and sees you and says, I've got a deviated septum. I can't breathe. I want my nose done. And then wants a cosmetic rhinoplasty at the same time. This person has health insurance, which does cover the internal work that you're doing, whether or not it's putting a spreader graft in or doing a septoplasty or doing a turbinate resection or doing a polyp excision. Mm -hmm. But- there's a cosmetic side of it. Sure. How does this work? Because this is really important. I think the general public should understand that there is a fine line between a cosmetic procedure and a and a functional procedure.
0: Definitely. Uh, you know, I think back in the eighties and 90s, we abused this and everybody was getting right plasty for a, a deviated septum. Um, so now there are certain indications on where an insurance would authorize uh, functional treatment cosmetics will always, always be separate, um, you know, from a a functional rhinoplasty. There's just no doubt. And so, you know, if you decide that you're going to do a rhinoplasty, uh, you know, uh, with a functional component and you don't charge them for the cosmetic and you only get paid for your insurance, well, listen, then you did it for free. But um, the idea is those two will always be separate. Now, At the same time, sometimes it becomes more cost effective if you're doing a cosmetic at the same time as the uh, functional component because a proportion of the anesthetic cost and the operating room cost are covered by insurance. And so that can definitely help. But, um, you know, in all reality, those are two completely separate procedures. So you have to understand that.
1: Yeah, very important guys. You you know, you're not going to get your at least for most reputable surgeons in America. You're not going to get your cosmetic rhinoplasty covered by your health insurance. Mm-hmm. It is not going to happen ever. And if it does, good for you, but it shouldn't happen. Um with that said, is there any other tips, tricks, anything to look for when you see a rhinoplasty surgeon? The only thing I'll tell you is is if I was going to get a rhinoplasty, I'd look at two or I'd, I'd look for three important things. First thing is your doc is board certified. Mm-hmm. That is important. Now, it could be a facial plastic surgeon or it could be a general plastic surgeon like Dr. Lakey, who's done seven years of training and doesn't just specialize in the face, even though he does more, more face than anything now. That's the first thing. The second thing I'd look at is before and afters. And before and afters are the telltale sign of what they've done. Um, you, can't, you can't change the way a before and after is, at least you hope. And the third thing is you need to have a good rapport with your surgeon. It is very important. I say this to people that come in for breast dog. If you can speak to your surgeon and they'll hear you out, it'll make it a lot easier later because if you want subtle changes or if you don't like something, because again, one of the first things that Dr. Lakey said is most common problem with rhinoplasty is you just don't like it. So if you don't like it and you can't actually discuss this with your surgeon Well, you're in big trouble. And that's sometimes one of the reasons people will go elsewhere because they say that they can't even open that conversation with their surgeon because it's in and out, they don't even see them. So those are my little little kind of things to look for if you're going to get a rhinoplasty.
0: Um, anything else you want to tell? Yeah, I was gonna say go into it. You know, obviously we prepare for the worst, but we pray for the best, and that's exactly how every operation works out. We are prepared. We know we can execute. We do, you know, but sometimes the body or or uh, some the healing process throws us a curveball. You have to understand that there are potential uh, risks and complications, um, and you just want to be on the same page with your surgeon. Absolutely. Um, all right. Well, listen, hopefully, you guys learned something today. Uh, definitely st- tune in for uh, our next uh, podcast episode. We're going to continue the teaching process. I think we're going to talk about male plastic surgery, uh, you know, all the different types that we can do. And, it's good and for all into... the
1: females, too, to listen <laughs> yeah. so they can push it on their boyfriends or uh, husbands. That's
0: right. And then go into some breast surgery for the next one. So, Uh, Thank you so much for tuning in with us. Hopefully you've learned something today. Uh, Again, this is Forever Young. I'm Dr. John Lakey.
1: And I'm Dr. Payment Daniel Poor. You can listen to us on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere you listen to your podcast. See you soon. Peace. From iHeartRadio, Forever Young is a Cavalry Audio Golden Hippo production. We are produced by Brandon Morgan, josh windish does our editing and mixing
0: payment and i serve as executive producers along with dana brunetti and keegan rosenberger
1: seeking the truth never gets old